The Lord's presence manifests in a lot of ways. You know, sometimes you just feel just this real sense of the Lord's presence in the room, and it'll just be real joyful, and you may even hear people just laughing kind of spontaneously, and then, you know, sometimes uh, the Spirit of the Lord just, you can't really do anything but cry sometimes, and then sometimes the Lord's presence is just really sweet. And I don't know about you, but I just felt like tonight the Lord's presence was just really sweet uh, in the room, and just, uh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like any, you know, any any kind of Lord. I'll take whatever I can get, but I did feel like tonight the Lord's presence was just particularly uh, sweet tonight. So thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. Um, and let me see, just a, maybe a couple of uh, announcements. Again, we want to uh, be reminding you guys that our fall conference is coming up at the end of October, the last weekend of October, the 28th, 29th. And uh, Robin McMillan uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, um, is going to be uh, with us, and he's he's a friend of the Vineyard, um, and he's amazing. The Lord has really anointed him, and it's just it's going to be a good weekend. So I hope that you can carve out some time. Hopefully, you can make it to the whole conference, but uh, but at the very least, carve out a little time and be here as much as you can because it's going to be good. And uh, so we encourage you to do that. Uh, also, um, we really love our college students at Campbellsville and at Lindsey Wilson and. And a lot of our college students, you know, some of them are, are from here in town, but a lot of our college students come from many states away. We have a lot of students that come from many countries uh, away. And so once a semester, we like to bless them with a home-cooked meal. And so what we do is we encourage, you know, some of the families in our church to, uh, to provide a home-cooked meal and, and host you know, uh, some college students in their home. And so if you are interested in either uh, preparing a meal or if you're a college student and you'd like to participate, uh, then see me. I've got a sign-up sheet, actually, uh, over on the table there. You can sign up on Facebook or you can talk to me directly. So one of those three ways you can get signed up if you want to cook or if you want to eat. <laughs> uh, then that's, uh, that's going on as well. And let's see. Is that it? I think that's pretty much it. Cool. All right. Everybody okay? Everybody doing all right? I haven't even started talking and he's already asleep. I've already bored him sleep tonight. Hopefully he'll be the only one who'll be sleeping tonight. Or maybe maybe Gray. I'll try and get Gray to sleep too. <laughs> yeah. um, Alright, well, let's see. Can we get Exodus 18 up on the, uh, on the wall? Awesome. Cool, thanks. Uh, last week uh, Dusty did a great job, and I want to reiterate uh, one of the things that he mentioned, because I think when we're dealing with uh, passages that are so familiar... Uh, that it's important uh, to try and approach them in a new and, and fresh way. Uh, the Scripture just has so many layers to it. And so you can return to the same passage uh, daily, and pretty much daily the Lord may speak something new to you uh, about that. And so we re- there is, is a challenge, uh, especially when you know, we're looking at a, at a book like Exodus, that you know, we've heard these stories since we were this, this high, uh, this tall, and uh, we've heard the stories over and over and over, and so they get so familiar that sometimes they actually can lose their impact, and so sometimes we just actually need the Lord's help to to uh, remind us that, you know what, there's maybe more truth in there than, than you realize. Uh, and so uh, Dusty uh, brought that up, and I wanted to reiterate that as we're still in the early part of this series in Exodus, and uh, and then Dusty also talked about uh, the Lord and what, what that means when he says, I am. And I encourage you, uh, I don't know if it's up on the archive yet, but as soon as it is, okay, 
if you haven't uh, caught that, there's some good, some good stuff in there. So I encourage you to, to go sometime and check that out. You don't have to right now, but maybe after church. You can go out. But uh, let's look uh, at, at Exodus 18. If you have your Bibles <laughs> today, today, Adam said, <laughs> if you aren't here this morning, I'm sorry, it's the funniest thing I thought you said all morning. Adam said, if you don't have your Bible, sit next to a Christian and look <laughs> off of theirs. That was one of my favorites, Adam. So, yeah. I'm not going to be that harsh. So if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You, someone will let you look over their shoulders. So. Um, yeah, so let's look at Exodus 18. Um, I'm going to start actually in, uh, in verse 5. I'm going to read quite a bit of this, and then we'll, we'll kind of go back, uh, back and forth throughout the night to it. But uh, let, let's start, jump down actually to uh, verse 5. Uh, Jethro... Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife. You know, I actually didn't think to check if my translation is the same one. So if there's a little variation, uh, I'm sure you'll be fine. Uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, uh, came to him in the wilderness uh, where he was camped out near the mountain of God. Uh, Let me stop right there, actually. Since this is 18, um, actually there's quite a bit that's already happened. I should... I should stay, uh, bring you kind of, kind of up to speed. Apparently, in the preceding chapters, uh, Moses and uh, the Jews apparently took some sort of a trip. I guess that's in the first few chapters of Exodus. This is after they've escaped from Egypt. All right, So they've already uh, been through quite a bit to this point. Um, I know we're not exactly going chronologically in the Exodus series here. I've skipped a few big events uh, to, to, what, uh, to what we're going to be in tonight. But this is after Moses has led... You know, he's uh, stood his ground with Pharaoh and, and the plagues, and, and they've uh, made their exodus, and, they've, uh, uh, and they're, you know, they've crossed the Dead Sea, and a lot of incredible things have happened so far. So uh, they're out in the wilderness, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, with the family, they come, and they meet with him. In verse 6, uh, Jethro had sent word to him, uh, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with uh, your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Uh, they greeted each other and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Uh, Jethro was delighted to hear about all these things, praise the Lord, etc. I'm going to skip actually down to verse 13. So Jethro was excited to hear uh, of all that the Lord had done. Down in verse 13, Uh, The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, 
trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. All right. Jesus, help us. Lord, would you just, uh, once more, we just invite you to speak. We invite you to just allow your word to come alive to us tonight. It is a living word. And so, Lord, we just invite you to speak to our hearts. Lord, we believe that you actually have something for everyone in this room tonight. And so, Lord, we just pray that there wouldn't be anything that would stand in the way of us receiving what you have for us. And we say corporately, and we say individually, Lord, we receive from you tonight. Would you come and would you speak? All right. Well, tonight's message primarily is really a message about leadership, okay? And if you don't consider yourself to be a leader, don't don't tune me out. I do think there's there's truth in here for everyone, and I'll... I'll explain that more as we go. But I do think primarily that this is a chapter uh, that deals with uh, leadership. Um, Moses, we could say, was the man. (laughs) Moses uh, had had done and had seen seen, uh, some pretty incredible things up to this point. And we could actually contrast Moses at this point to Moses in the earlier stages of his ministry when you know, we know that Moses was a stutterer and he was very, you know, um, at times came across really as unsure of himself. But, you know, by this point, though, Moses had really gained quite a bit of life experience. He had developed quite a bit of a, a body of work, so to speak. Uh, he, had, in partnership with the Lord, had done quite a bit and had been a really good leader. Right? Is that safe to say uh, at this point? So Moses, Moses was the man. I mean, how many people even in human history uh, can we say that, that had the privilege to have the kinds of face-to-face encounters with the Lord that Moses had, right? So Moses was he's pretty special. He was a pretty unique uh, leader, got to do and experience some pretty uh, amazing things. And yet there's something we see here in chapter eight th- 18 that should really speak to us. If Moses, who had done the things that he did, had seen the things that he had seen, had had the kind of favor that he had from the Lord, if in spite of all of these things that Moses still needed help, then shouldn't we all take that to heart? Hey, I need help. And that's really my first uh, point that I like to drive home tonight is that regardless of what kind of leader you are, whether you've been given a lot or whether you've been given a little, any leader needs help, and you cannot do it alone. All right? 
Adam hit on some of this today, talking about there's no Lone Rangers, there's no Han Solos in, in the kingdom. This works, uh, this passage really goes with that hand in hand, that, that, that you cannot do it alone. And it doesn't really matter how gifted you are. You still need help, all right? Now, Moses, you know, I, to me, uh, when, when I read, you know, about Moses' life, I don't know that he really comes across particularly gifted or talented necessarily, but he was accomplished. You can't argue that, all right? So whether, whether what you have, uh, you know, to your credit, whether you're incredibly gifted and talented or whether you've just, through, you know, through just the Lord's goodness, you've just been able to accomplish a great deal, it doesn't matter. You still need help. No matter the, no matter the measure of talent, no matter the measure of accomplishments, everybody needs help. And we see that in here. Moses specifically needed two things uh, that, that we see here. Number one, he needed uh, help in judging you know, the, the issues of the people. Um, and, and I know uh, that maybe there's debate about exactly how many people were there. There could have been in the millions. There was at least hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And Moses was the judge the settler of all the disputes for all these people. So yes, Moses needed help, right? But not only did he need help, but he needed someone to show him that he needed help. He needed two things. He needed help, but he needed somebody to impart that wisdom to him that, hey, Moses, you need help, right? He needed Jethro. Uh, the, the phrasing here, he talks. Uh, Jethro says, "You're going to wear yourself and the people out." Moses was in danger of wearing himself out because of how much he was taking on. All right, um, how ineffective do do we become as leaders when we spread ourselves too thin? Again, doesn't matter the, how much talent you have. When you're spread too thin, you become ineffective. Even Moses, again, with the life experience he had, was in danger of wearing himself out. This man who had been face-to-face with God, it didn't matter. He was going to wear himself out. And it wasn't, and Jethro didn't just give him a message that you could do better if you do this. He said, this actually is not good, right? And so Moses was in danger of wearing himself out, investing all his time in these judging matters. So he needed help. But the first thing he needed, though, was someone to point out to him that he needed help, right? He needed a Jethro. So I think it's safe to say that if Moses needed a Jethro, we need a Jethro. We may need several Jethros <laughs> in our lives. And so I think it's good even tonight to be proactive and to really pause and think, who are the Jethros in my life? Who are the Jethros available to me uh, that I can sit under? Who are the Jethros that I can go to that can impart wisdom to me? Because that's really the first, the first question, is finding the Jethros uh, that, are in your, uh, that are within uh, your, your reach. Now, again, you may be particularly gifted and talented, and you may think, uh, you may think there are some things. Maybe you don't need a great deal of help in, in terms of leadership. Maybe you think of some of these smaller things. But consider this for just a minute. Even with the smaller areas of leadership in your lives, all right? Maybe you can handle them on your own. But how much better, how much more effective can you handle even the smaller things if you have wise counsel, right? 
How much better can you serve others if you're getting counsel and accountability and encouragement? So we shouldn't be too quick to rule out the, 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 the validity of having you know, a Jethro in our, in our lives just because we've decided that this is just kind of a small thing. Whether it's a small area of leadership or a large area of leadership, having a Jethro, having someone that can speak counsel to you is always a good thing, right? Again, don't have to go it alone. You don't have to be uh, a lone ranger. So that's, uh, that's the first thing. Identify uh, the Jethros in your life. But this is really important. It really won't matter if you identify <clears throat> the Jethros in your life if you ignore their counsel. Right? You can have the greatest wisdom coming to you, and it won't mean anything if you ignore it. Moses didn't just, uh, just didn't give lip service to Jethro. He didn't just smile at him, pat him on the shoulder and say, thanks, old timer, appreciate it, thanks for the tip. Right? He took his counsel. He applied the counsel. Right? And it ended up better for him. It ended up better for the people. We'll talk more about that later. But having good counsel won't mean anything if you don't apply it. Uh, Adam, <laughs> uh, Adam makes, uh, <clears throat> he's done this a few times. He likes to embarrass me. Um, he likes to talk about, you know, in church sometimes about how nice I am and uh, about how I never say mean things and how patient I am. He brings that up on a regular basis. And, for the, you know, and, and it's pretty much true. What he, ha- what he doesn't talk about as much is how humble I am. He hasn't got to that yet. He hasn't mentioned that yet, so I'm waiting on that. Um, no, here's the, th- here's, the, here's the thing is that if you're going to do ministry, like, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're on staff. If you're going to do any kind of ministry, you're going to need patience, right? And I, I, in all seriousness, I do try to be really patient with people, all right? It's important. I do try and be patient with people. And... And what I've you know, found over the years is there, there's really very little that like shocks me or offends me. You know, you know people you know, will come to me and confess you know, these you know, difficult things, you know, pornography, or you know, they, they've had a history of you know, a, a, you know, like heavy things. You know? And they, they come, you know, sometimes I can just tell they, they're hesitant to confess these things because they're concerned that it's going to affect the way that I look at them. And it, and it really it never affects the way I look at these people. You know, and I and and it's the Lord. I'm 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 not bragging on myself. It's it's the Lord. You know, He gives me patience, and He gives me like, uh, you know, the, thankfully He gives me the ability not to like hold things against people, and and it's really great. But I, I'm going to be really honest with you tonight. There is something that frustrates me. What frustrates me, and I think what probably frustrates a lot of leaders, whether it's pastors or any kind of leaders, it's in, and we're really in the context of like kingdom, you know, leading in the kingdom. What frustrates me is when you're trying to help people and you give them what you know is good counsel and they ignore it. And they end up in the same situations over and over and over again. The particular sins people struggle with, that doesn't bother me. You know, I hate it for them. You know, it breaks my heart for them, but it doesn't like make me mad at them. It doesn't make me think less of them. But what gets me is when, when you know people are getting good counsel 
and they ignore it. Having Jethro's in your life is great, but if you ignore their counsel, it's you might as well not have them. Right? Yeah. So finding the Jethro's in your life is really just the first step. The second step is to actually consider the counsel that they give you. I mentioned a minute ago that if you don't consider yourself to be a leader, to not you know tune me out. And here's the truth, okay? Everyone has some sphere of leadership. Everyone. If there's even one person in your life that in some way looks up to you, if there's even one person in your life that you have any measure of influence over, in essence, that makes you a leader. Yeah? You're either a good one or a bad one, but it makes you... A leader. So this really is a message for everyone. There's not, I believe with all my heart there's not a person in this room that couldn't benefit from having people in their life to speak wisdom to them, accountability, encouragement, and guidance. Everyone has different spheres of leadership. For some of you, you, know, you know, see college students in the room. Some of you may be on some you know, a church staff. You may be doing mission work. You may be... Uh, you know, doing what, whatever kind of jobs you may have. Maybe, uh, maybe you just, whether you're a dad or mom, maybe you're going to be the one that finds a way to stay at home with the kids. You don't think your kids look up to you? You don't think there's going to be leadership required of you in the home? It doesn't matter what you do. You're all going to have somebody, and most of us are going to have several somebodies over which we have influence. That makes you a leader. And you're going to lead them more effectively if you find people in your life who have life experience, trusted people that can speak wisdom to you, that can give you encouragement, accountability, and guidance. Basically, you know, whenever we see these, you know, these really sad stories of, you know, ministers that have these spectacular failings, you know, that are public and one of the first things I think about was, where, where was the accountability? You know, I think, I think this area is one of the things that leads to some of those terrible things that we see. That they either don't have any lines of accountability, of encouragement, they don't have any Jethro's, or they do and they're ignoring the council. I would be willing to put some pretty good money on it. I don't have any good money, but if I had good money, I would put it on it. So I think this is a word for everybody. I think we all could benefit. That's putting it a little mildly. I think we all need. It's required. You have to have some Jethro's. No, we really need Jethro's in our life. Uh, Something else that stood out to me about this that I thought was really neat. Um, You may not be aware of this, but uh, Jethro, Jethro pretty much was a pagan. Jethro was a pagan, right? He wasn't, he wasn't you know, Jewish. He wasn't, uh, I believe, uh, somewhere there's reference to, to them being, you know, idol worshipers, right? His uh, tribe or whatever, however you want to phrase it. But Jethro was, Jethro was a pagan. But what's neat about following Jesus is that the Lord is willing to speak through a number of sources. And part of being a good leader 
is being able to recognize true wisdom. In Numbers 22, it's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. I think I've mentioned it before in other messages. Numbers 22, that's when Balaam, uh, the, <laughs> the Lord speaks to Balaam through a donkey. All right? I prefer to use other language, but <laughs> since this is re- being recorded, because then you can go a whole bunch of different directions, but it's just too, too many jokes. <laughs> And I think that, you know, all right, just on that, you think the Lord's surprised, you know, about that connection we can make there? I don't think that was an accident. He could have spoken through any animal he wanted to. I think he did that on purpose because I think God has a sense of humor. If this were my small group, I would, I would, I would go into more detail. Honestly, I really just I think the Lord loves to do those kinds of things where He loves to speak through unlikely sources. He does. This is the same God, you know, that says we need to have faith like a child. That doesn't make sense. What do kids know, right? But yet they're the ones who our faith should mirror, right? The Lord loves to speak through unlikely sources, but here's the key. The key is to learn the shepherd's voice. And the more intimate we become with the Lord, then the better we hear His voice. And so that's one thing we can say about Moses, was that he knew the Lord intimately. And so when Jethro gives his advice, and at least this isn't recorded, and I think it probably would have been, I think this would have been significant. I think if he had had doubts, I think it would have been recorded. I think Moses knew right away, this is the Lord. This is wisdom. Moses knew the Lord intimately. And so he recognized the Lord's voice, even though he was speaking through a pagan. I think the Lord does that. How many of you have ever heard just incredible wisdom? You know, those of you that are parents in the room, or even if you're not parents, maybe you have nieces or nephews or you're around kids. How many of you have heard just incredible wisdom come out of the mouths of kids? They shouldn't be that wise, right? Sometimes the Lord really speaks wisdom through very, very unlikely sources. So we need to recognize wisdom if we want to be the kinds of leaders that we're capable of being. Then we need to learn the shepherd's voice. We need to be intimate with the Father so that when wisdom is being spoken, that we're not distracted by the other circumstances and we can say, that's wisdom, that's the Lord. That's part of being a good leader. Another thing we need to consider is that, uh, and that we can see here in, in Exodus 18, is that a leader really must value their time. Okay? Part of that is acknowledging that, that being great at something or even being good at something doesn't nece- necessarily mean that that's where you need to be investing your time. And for those of you that are aggressively, you know, pursuing the the Lord and and that are looking for leadership opportunities, and this could be a struggle for you, you know, you can look around and say, well, you know, I'm just really good at this. And so you just find yourself, and most likely you find people coming to you 
because you're good at this thing. But just being great at something doesn't necessarily mean that that's where your time is best spent. We see this with Moses. Obviously, Moses was incredibly qualified to judge all the cases. In terms of his ability, he was qualified. He knew the Lord. He knew the laws. Right? He was wise. He was qualified to do it all. But it wasn't good. It wasn't good for him to do it all. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean that that needs to be the thing that takes all your time. That's a really important lesson for a leader. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the examples that I, that I thought of, and, and this is, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's a pet peeve, but especially, um, okay, any football fans? A few football fans in the house? Um, I don't think I've ever, <laughs> I don't think I've ever, by the way, I don't think I've ever spoken or given a message here where I didn't have at least one sports analogy, so I'm trying to keep my string intact here. <laughs> um, this actually bothers me, particularly when I see, like, my teams doing this. Now, at the high school level or even, like, some of the smaller uh, college uh, levels, that, you know, sometimes this happens out of necessity, but when you get up to, like, SEC level football or NFL football. This kind of bugs me when I see this. Sometimes you'll see, you know, someone who's an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. That means they're, you know, if you're not familiar with football, they're in charge of the offense or they're in charge of the defense. Sometimes you'll see one of these guys that have done really well, they'll get promoted to a head coach, head coaching position. And what bugs me sometimes is when I see these head coaches they still want to keep control of calling the plays on offense or on defense. And this is why this bugs me. There's just a lot of implications there. Do they not trust their offensive coordinator? Right? If they don't trust their offensive coordinator, then maybe they need a new offensive coordinator. Right? Let the guy do his job. Train him up. Or get somebody else. Do something. But why is the head coach calling the plays for the offense? The head coach, doesn't he have plenty of other things that Really, he should be investing his time in, but he's worrying about this other guy's job, right? I get that he's good at it, but I would rather the head coach do the things the head coach is supposed to do and the offensive coordinator do the things the offensive coordinator is supposed to do. Being able to excel at something doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best place for you to invest your time. These coaches that do this, what's suffering? Something somewhere is losing his attention. Because they only have so many hours in the day. They only have so much of themselves they can give. So what area, what area of responsibility from the head coach have they, are they neglecting so that they can do this other guy's job? That bugs me. It doesn't bug me when other teams do it. It bugs me when teams I like do it. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean that that's where you need to be sinking all your time into. And that was something Moses had to deal with in 18. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. So one one of the issues here, when we're talking about valuing our time, one of the things that we really have to do is we have to learn how to duplicate ourselves. It's critical for a leader to duplicate themselves. Uh, we've been talking a lot over the last few months about how we, um, about how the church really at large has narrowed the gospel message to winning converts. 
That's a big deal. That's important. But really, you know, the gospel message is making disciples, which goes way beyond just making converts, right? This kind of goes hand in hand with that, but it's a little more specific. And let me explain how, uh, how it's, it's distinctive from just making disciples. Uh, you can make a disciple and they may look you know, completely different from you, but when you're duplicating yourself, basically what you're doing is you're, is you're giving all the stuff you have. Like you're, you're sharing your, your talents. You're trying to teach people to do the things that you specifically know how to do. And I think as a leader, it's really important to find people that you can, you can duplicate yourself. And even more importantly than that, put them in a position to do even better than you. Right? It's important for a leader to duplicate, to duplicate themselves. And one of the reasons this is a, is a challenge is because our culture is so competitive. Right? That really runs counter to our culture. You don't want to duplicate yourself. You want to stay on the top. You, you want to train people beneath you to do just good enough to to make you look, oh, I've got a good team. You know, we're doing great. But you still want to be at the top, right? So it's counter to our culture. You don't want to train anybody to do so well that they actually do better than you. That's our culture. The kingdom is different. In the kingdom, we want to duplicate ourselves and we want to position people to do even bigger things than us. It sounds kind of familiar. I feel like somebody in the New Testament said something to that effect. Oh, yeah, it was Jesus. Jesus told the disciples that you're going to do even greater things than, than, than I have. Doesn't that sound crazy? That, that really blows my mind. I have to come back to that verse time and time again. I even wrestle with that verse a little bit. It, it feels heretical, but I don't think Jesus was a heretic. I, mean, I hope not. I've got to really rethink some stuff, if you will. Does anybody think Jesus was just messing with these guys? You'll do even better stuff than I will. (laughs) Now, here's the truth, and this will be hard to hear maybe for some of you. It's true. The disciples did do greater things than Jesus. Is that weird to say? It feels weird. It feels weird saying it, but it's the truth. I'm not saying they're greater than Jesus, but they did greater things. Jesus' ministry was for three years on this earth. He did some amazing things, but think of what the disciples accomplished during their lives. The church exploded, right? How many followers were around when when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended? It was in the hundreds. After Pentecost, thousands and then thousands and then thousands. This happened while the disciples were alive. They raised the dead. They chased out demons. They healed the sick. They made converts. They did it all. So Jesus was right. The disciples did greater things than he did. And, it was, and that's a good thing. And that's the way he wanted it to be. And that's the way we should want it to be. We should look at the people that we have influence in their lives, and it should be the real genuine desire of our hearts to be able to look at them and say, you're going to do greater things than I've done. If that's not where your heart's at, 
If your heart is looking at the people in your sphere and, and saying, you're going to do some pretty good things, you're going to come up a little bit short of me, then I think you need to take a little stock <laughs> of where your heart's at. Our heart really should be to look around at the people where we have influence and say, you know what, you're going to do greater things than me, and it's largely going to be because I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you everything I know. Yeah, I want to train people to do the things I know how to do, but, but better, right? Yeah. And here's the thing. This is one of the reasons why it's okay, why it doesn't have to, to worry us about um, you know, the, the competitive issue, okay? In the world, you know, we could be worried about losing our jobs. In the kingdom, there's job security. You, you cannot make yourself obsolete. The more people you, the more you duplicate, the more you disciple, you're only making yourself more valuable. The more you learn how to duplicate, the more you, you learn how to multiply, you're only making yourself more valuable. And there's always going to be people out there in need of a Jethro. There's job security in the kingdom. You will never make yourself obsolete. So it's okay to duplicate yourself. It's better than okay. It's necessary to duplicate yourself. But we should keep this in mind. Even if you are successful in duplicating yourself a hundred times over, that doesn't mean your life's going to get easier. Right? I mean, yeah, there will be aspects of your life that certainly will become more manageable, right? As we can see with Moses. But I don't know that I would necessarily say, even though Moses' life became more manageable, he didn't have to, to judge these issues morning till night. He didn't have to do that. But I wouldn't say his life got easier. He still had to deal with the most difficult cases. Right? We do have this... I, just, I don't even know how it's happened, but you know, in the church, there's just such a fatalistic attitude that, man, we just, we're not following the Lord if we're not making it as hard as possible on ourselves. Here's the reality. There's plenty of difficulty built in. Adam said this many times uh, on Sunday mornings. But it's so true, and I think it's so, it, it's so ingrained into our culture, I think we need to hear this over and over. You don't have to go out and look for difficulty. Sometimes I really feel like what we do as believers is we look at two choices and the default setting is the harder thing must be the right answer. Always. That's the default answer. What's harder? That must be the Lord. Sometimes it is. We don't have to go out and look for difficulty. It's going to find us. Right? It's going to find us. So duplicating ourselves, we don't have to look at that. And this is what some of my concern would be is that as leaders... We would say, well, I feel like I'm, I'm looking for the easy way out. I'm delegating responsibility. You know, it's, it's my job. I should do this, you know. I'm looking for the easy way out. You know what? It's going to be plenty difficult. The hardest thing is not always the right thing. Duplicating yourself is good. Delegating is good. And I promise you, again, good money. There'll still be plenty of difficult things. <laughs> You're not getting off as easy as you might think. There'll, there'll always be challenges, okay? Yeah.
And this is one of my favorite, um, one of my, my, the favorite things that stood out to me in this passage. Can we bring, bring it back up for just a second? Uh, let's go down to 23. Uh, actually, I'll back up to 22. All right, you know, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Learning how to value your time, learning how to duplicate yourself, learning how to raise up other leaders, doing that isn't just potentially making your life more manageable. You're actually serving the other people better when you do that. There might be a part of you that says, uh, I should be doing this because maybe I'm better at it or you know, I'm the person they want to see. What we see here, I mean, yeah, who, who, who in, that, in the people group there, who, who wouldn't benefit from having face-to-face time with Moses, right? But they say right here, actually, that by Moses doing this, by him raising up other leaders, he's actually serving them more effectively, more powerfully by raising up other leaders by not wearing them out, by them not having to stand morning till night, waiting for a chance. Hopefully today's the day I'll get in front of Moses. But by him raising up other leaders, other people that can give more attention and more care to these people, he's actually serving them better. So let me speak to us now. I I, I believe, like I said, everybody in this room to some degree is a leader, but everybody in this room is also to a degree a follower. Okay? Okay? When we look at our leaders, we need to be able to respect and value a leader who sets boundaries. Because it's actually a really good thing. When we see a leader that's not willing to throw his family under the bus so that he can spend more time you know, ministering to everybody he can possibly minister to, that's actually something we should respect and appreciate. That shouldn't necessarily. That shouldn't be an opportunity to say, "Man, he's not spending any time. You know, he's not carving out any time, or she's not carving out any time for me." When we see leaders that set boundaries, that's actually a sign of a really good and healthy leader. One of the things that tells you about that leader is that they're committed to serving long term, because they're positioning themselves to not get worn out and burn out. When you see a leader that values their time and their family, that's actually a leader who's in it for the long term. That they actually have vision and they actually recognize, you know, I can't do this by myself and I'm going to serve people better by raising up other leaders. And that should actually be for us a point of respect. You know, sometimes the best thing, and we'll we'll make this uh, specific, sometimes the best thing Adam can do Sometimes the very best thing Adam can do for you is not be the person that handles your problem. <laughs> is that right? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, sometimes the best thing that Adam could do, or that anybody on staff, Hannah, myself, or even outside the church context, any kind of leader, sometimes the best thing that they can do for you is to not be the specific person to handle your crisis. 
sometimes the best way they can serve is to be raising up other leaders. It's healthier for the church. It's healthier for your leaders. And in the long term, it's healthier for everybody, for a leader to raise up other leaders. It's actually a really good thing. a good thing. Um, I had an idea for ministry time tonight, but I think during worship, the Lord actually switched it up on me. He does that sometimes. He's tricky. He does stuff like that. Um, Hannah, what are you doing? Are you doing sound? Okay, come on down. Dusty, can you come on down? Um, Did Sam leave? He is in trouble. Uh, Jesse and Adrian, come on up. 